I'm such an amateur. Come up here, Renee. Let's welcome Renee. This is Renee. She's from Narrabri. She's a country girl that makes country girls look extremely glamorous. She's an inspirational woman. woman. Do you know she is the actual senior pastor of her church? No husband, her, which is not a big deal, but some people think it is. So I love to champion women, and I just would love it if you would give her a round of applause again as she brings the word. Come on, Angie. Thanks, Lizzie. Well, good morning to you all. Greetings from sunny Narrabri. You may be seated. And uh, Sunny, at the beginning of the service there, couldn't quite remember who I was. And I just said to him, remember that place you come and visit. It's a long, long, long way away. And you say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And then you get there and it's really hot. That's the place. I'm connected. I'm the lady at that place. And then he remembered indeed. <laughs> well, thank you, um, Lozzie and Lottie, for the invitation. It's great to be here and you guys have been incredibly supportive of myself and NCF Narrabri and we will, we have a church plant there that's about 15 months old and uh, you know what, we've been in that area for about four years now and I think I'd only been in town maybe 10 days or two weeks and I got a call from Lottie. And he was welcoming me to the, um, the area because at that stage, the region um, included Narrabri. It's since changed. And uh, he was one of the first people to ring and welcome me from ACC and to come and visit, actually. I think you guys were the first visitors or preachers at the church. So we love you guys. I can hear a little bit of... Yeah. No. Where's your fallback? Ah, that's much better. Yep, thank you very much. Well, a little bit about me. Um, I enjoyed arriving in Maitland yesterday. It's very walkable, beautiful historic buildings. A bit hotter than I was expecting, but it's back to normal this morning, I see. Well, um, what can I tell you about myself? Because some of you, or most of you, don't really know a lot about me. Ah, what can I tell you that's going to really get you thinking? Well, my mother had three children in one year. Who would like to work that one out? That's right. Twins in January uh, when my mother was 16 and she turned 17 in the June. And then lo and behold, there was my brother in the December. So that's pretty cool. Three Three kids in one year. And uh, I had a very unconventional childhood, and uh, that's another whole story and another whole sermon. (laughs) I don't want to waste my time on that at this point. But uh, I have three kids myself and one husband, and uh, I met my husband at CSU Wagga Wagga. And uh, are the Braggs here this morning? Can't spot them. Well... We were actually in church with Michael and Katie Bragg and the girls. Their girls are a similar age to our girls. So there you go. I was hoping to give them a welcome, but someone will have to pass it on. Well, I grew up um, on the border of uh, New South Wales and Victoria. And uh, we, we had a different footy code. Uh, we had different way of talking and we had Mexicans nearby. No offence. And, you know, one of the favourite things I got to do as a kid... Uh, in that town of Albury-Wodonga 
was my nan, who was a gem and who helped raise me for a lot of my childhood, would save up her pennies and she would uh, plan each school holidays back in the day where there were only three school terms. So it was incredibly long, incredibly long that summer break. And she would save up and um, take us to a pantomime and a smorgasbord at the SSNA club, Soldiers, Sailors and Airmen, I think is what it stood for. And who here says smorgasbord? Who says buffet? Who says buffet? Ah, gotcha. <laughs> well, back in the day, I loved a smorgasbord. And they're a little bit wasted on me now because I just can't put much away. But as a kid, I certainly could. And I would eat and eat all the delicacies and have a fantastic time. And then at one point or another, I would declare that I couldn't possibly fit another thing in. And then you know what? A waitress would come through the doors with a parfait. Everybody loved parfait, right? (laughs) And suddenly I would discover that I had room for more after all. Is there anyone else like that in this room? Los, could you pass me up my water there? Thanks. And you know what? <laughs> Thank you. And you know what? There's a lot of people in this room that might actually have that attitude that overflows to other areas of their life. Maybe you're a shopper and you're always open for that opportunity. It's not that you're greedy, it's not that you're acquisitive and you like lots of stuff, but you're just open for opportunity that there might be just that little something that you've been in the market for that might just pop up. Or maybe you're the other sort of person who you're really hard to buy for. You might have absolutely everything. Maybe this dad's day gone, you were that person or you were trying to buy for that person. And they, you know what? I'm right, they say. I don't need anything. But what they're really saying, in my experience, if I'm thinking of my husband, is that pretty right for socks and undies, thanks. Pretty right for those, you know. (laughs) But if you were to have something for them that was on their dare-to-dream bucket list, suddenly they might actually have room for that thing after all. So if I said to my husband, Right, I've got a 66 Mustang or a Relic Telecaster for you. Suddenly, he would actually want something after all, even though he's fond of telling me that his needs are humble and he is frugal, he has want of nothing. He would discover that there would be room for more after all. Are we, church, open to new opportunities this morning? Or are our lives so full, so jam-packed, with activity, with stuff, our headspace overflowing, that if that new opportunity was presented to us, we might pass it up because we couldn't possibly fit something else in. Well, that's what I'm going to be speaking on this morning, making room for more. And you know, I would nearly be a hypocrite standing up here before you this morning, let's be authentic here, because I nearly passed up an opportunity uh, because my life is so full with a church in both Narrabri and Wee War and three children and one husband as we've established. You know what? I nearly said no to this amazing opportunity. Not for coming here. This was already coming. I was already um, had this nailed to the calendar. It was fine. But uh, I fly out to Berlin tomorrow. <laughs> 
And that was an amazing experience of when I was speaking to my church on Ecclesiastes 10.10, and, uh, which is all about the power of preparation and sharing with them how preparation empowers you. And I shared the example that I'm learning French at the moment, as you do, because uh, my first child just left home and I had to fill the void with something. But anyway, <laughs> I'm learning French and I said to the church, I want to be able to go to Paris and pick up a menu and sort of know what it says. I want to be very grown up and sit in a cafe and read the headlines, if not the articles, in French. And so I'm going to be preparing now for when that opportunity comes later on. And then two days later, I got a call from my twin sister to say, come and join me in Berlin. I'm actually apartment sitting and dog sitting for her son. And then we'll go to Paris the week after. Do you know what? I nearly said, no, I can't do that. (laughs) But then I remembered I've been preparing for this and I should never say no to an opportunity because that is how God blesses us. And I need to get out of my comfort zone um, because I'll be traveling by myself for a little bit of it and not miss what God has for me. And I actually believe that was a blessing from him. And I shouldn't say no to him. Well, today the spotlight in scripture, we'll get there eventually, is on a woman who is called in scripture as a woman from Shunem. She doesn't actually have a name or she's called the Shunemite woman. And she's in 2 Kings chapter 4. And you know, when she was asked by the prophet Elisha what he could do for her, do you know what her response was? Nah, I don't need anything, thanks. That's what she said. What could I do for you? But you know what? It turned out that even though she had said that, there really, really was something that she didn't have and that she really wanted. And the desire for this had been buried in her, probably as a self-protection mechanism. She just didn't want to go to that space or admit that it would even be on the table. Well, you know what? It's in this space, the gap between what we do have and what we don't have, that God actually wants to operate in our lives. And uh, we're going to pick up the story in a little while. So you can turn to, um, uh, what did I say, 2 Kings chapter 4 now. And I'm going to grab some water. I'm used to a table. <laughs> Can I challenge us this morning that, uh, you know how we say, watch that space. Watch that space this morning because the Holy Spirit will be nudging you about some areas in your life. Now, Elisha, Oh, don't pop it up yet, sorry. Now, Elisha, um, he also features in today's passage. And uh, I want to give you a quick background on him. What a guy. He knew how to position himself for the more and for the what's next. We can learn a lot from him. And, you know, he stuck to his predecessor, who was Elijah. He was his mentor. And if you read that part of the Old Testament, you know that wherever he went, Elisha followed him. It was almost annoying. He just couldn't shake him off. But he wanted his power and he didn't want to miss anything. He wanted to make sure that he was where he needed to be. You know what? And as a result, at the right time, 
when Elijah was translated to the heavenlies, Elisha was there and he literally caught the cloak that was on his back that he passed to him. It was the mantle of of leadership. It was a mantle of anointing. And it was on Elijah's life and then passed on to Elisha. But he didn't just catch that mantle. Already he'd caught his vision and his heart. That was the important thing. And uh, he went on to his own significant ministry. And the Bible tells us that he got a double portion. He actually did double the amount of miracles as his predecessor. And you know what? Um, When I was 15 turning 16, I got saved. And not long after that, I had some preacher dude prophesy over me. And it was about that same phrase, mantle of leadership. And I hadn't been reading my Bible for that long. And uh, I actually had to go and look it up and find out what that was all about. And he prophesied over me that wherever I went in the days I was still at school, and then at university, and then in the workplace, and then amongst women and amongst youth, dot, 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 he was putting a mantle of leadership on me. And, you know, at that time, I didn't know, of course, I was going to be a pastor of two churches because in my realm, uh, my frame of reference, I didn't know any chicks that did that. I just thought I was going to be a missionary. How cool. And that's what I really wanted to do. And I just kept coming back to that prophecy, those words that were declared over my life time and time again because they kept coming true. So it got my attention. But you know what it did? It also expanded my view of myself and my God. And that's what we need to do. It gave me a glimpse that maybe God had a little bit more for me than I had actually even grasped. And, you know, so there's in this sense that... We want to be content with where we're at and what God has for us now, but we should always be readying ourselves for more. Don't you agree, church? Don't put a ceiling on yourself or on God. Dream and vision. What are you believing for right now? What won't happen in your own striving, but only by the power of God? That's the space God wants us to operate in. And you know, for Elisha, there were conditions to this. His world being blown and him walking into that next thing. And that more came to pass for him because before God did the supernatural, he did the natural. He just kept showing up. He just kept carrying the bags for the other guy. (laughs) He just kept following him around and he was in the right place at the right time. So that's a little bit about the prophet that features in our story. And now we're right to go to 2 Kings 4 because everyone's already there. Awesome. The woman who had everything but still needed something is how I paraphrase this passage. It actually says Elisha and the woman from Shunem, but I say the other thing. (laughs) So verse 8, we'll start. One day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, Whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day Elisha returned to Shunem and he went up to the upper room to rest. 
he said to his servant Gehazi, Tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, Tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. And later Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? And Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back, Elisha told him. And when the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. (laughs) Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. Now, I love this chick. She's a great study. I love that she had no agenda. Her motives were pure. She was in a good place just to bless others. She was hospitable and she was practical. And I like that she spoke with action and not just rhetoric. She put her money where her mouth is, so to speak. You know, she was a contributor, not just a consumer. And I see so many people here this morning serving to make church happen. And it's all part of God's picture of how he likes us to operate. It's awesome. She grasped that she was blessed to be a blessing, a vessel not just to be filled but to be poured out for others. I can definitely imitate her. I like the fact that she was a bit progressive, particularly for those times, and that she had her own means. She had her own income and she had her own, I guess, assurance or confidence in who she was. But you know what? She didn't let that go to her head and become this haughty, you know, lady of the manor, bossing her husband round because she earned more money than he did. No, she used her resources that she was blessed with to um, be part of something bigger than just her, something that had meaning, something that she sensed was in the timing and the purposes of God. You know, because she actually facilitated the prophet Elisha. She was almost in partnership, which we would say in, in modern terms. And, you know, um, Shinem was about at the 20-mile mark from uh, Carmel, where a lot of the action happened for the prophets. And so this was a great pit stop for the prophet and his servant to stop in on the way there, or if he needed to retreat, to come back to. And what a blessing to be able to provide refreshment and release and a retreat for those in ministry around her. And at NCF, we say... Uh, we call our hospitality hospo. And this chick, she was a great hospo leader, I must say. (laughs) And uh, she basically set him up for success. And in the end, though, she didn't miss out. There were benefits for her as well. She was a person who epitomised making room for others. And it was a space that God was able to operate in in her life. You would notice that she was drawn to the things of God. She was drawn to holy people and she acted on her convictions. She said, I am sure he's a holy man and did something about it. And there was a contentment or a happiness in her situation. She seemed comfortable in her own skin, something that we can all grow in. 
But you know what? Was it really just contentment? contentment? Or was she cagey about her dream? I think she was. She was actually happy to be safe rather than risk her heart for the more. We can all do that. We can't judge her for it. She needed some prodding, don't we all? Contentment is great, but we just need to hold this intention with, well, what's next? And what is the more that God has for for us? And will I be ready for it? Because contentment can be used as a mask for hiding fear, settling, or even being lazy. Can anyone say ouch this morning? Ouch. (laughs) The Shunammite woman, she had great instincts. She knew that to make room for the more of God, she actually had to make room for his people because God actually operates through his people. He doesn't normally operate in a vacuum. Yes, I know a, a bush will burn occasionally, but mostly it is through people or involving people. She perceived the move of God and she positioned her home and made preparations. She made room to receive and maintain what God was going to do. Making room for God involves perception, preparation and maintenance. I saw some of you were trying to madly get those down. So making room for God involves perception, preparation and maintenance. Everyone taking notes? The lights are hot. Sorry, I'm just melting up here. It's all right. I'm used to it being hot where I come from, let me tell you. (laughs) You know what? There's a pun that's intended here. The Shunammite lady, she literally made a room, didn't she? And we can all learn from this. So let's view this room for a moment. Put on your 3D glasses, Lucy. Anyone ever played the game or the app? Uh, what's it called? Home Design Makeover, where you get to create all the spaces. And <laughs> she's literally putting on glasses. You, you know, <laughs> you get to visualize and then decorate this space. I want you to lean in because I'm going to give you a structure or a pattern um, that if you install this in your life, and if I install it in my life, it will continually continually set us up for the next thing that God has for us. It will position us for the insight and help us prepare for what is next for us. Because I can guarantee God has something next for each person in this room. In verse 10, it says this, she made a small rooftop room. She furnished it with a cot, a table, a chair and a lamp. Now, each of these items are significant and symbolic. I'm going to use them for you to have some takeaways from this morning's message. The small room, or as the next slide would say, there was room to rest. Now, it says that it was on a rooftop. And so it meant that in this busy household or this well-to-do household, Elisha the prophet had a space that was able to be free of what was happening in the house that matched his needs. That's it. I like the view. (laughs) I could just look at that space all the time. I reckon even I could rest in a space like that. I'm always doing and busy. You know, 
it was away from the hustle and bustle. It was still a humble space on the rooftop, but yet it had a great view. He had a lofty perspective. He could be viewing things um, in a way that God wanted him to. And, you know, each of us here, not just if you're a prophet, needs to make room for rest in our lives. Would you agree? Anyone feeling like they need a little rest right now? It's okay. You can have your little afternoon nap before too, too long. (laughs) You can act on the sermon. And this place has to be readily available. It has to be easily accessed, doesn't it? You don't want to have to go through a big rigmarole or see a thousand people to get to the place of rest because that's not very restful. And like the prophet, he could just slip in and out whenever he wanted to. So we need to create those spaces in our own life and it will look different for each of us depending on our schedule and our life. We need to work out where we can get alone with God, where we can create room to rest. And that needs to be a physical space at times because we're physical creatures. <laughs> I don't just mean sitting in a busy house, household and you know thinking lofty, restful thoughts. I actually mean a space where it's just you and it's restful. There needs to be space in our calendar as well that we might blot out. And a lot of you have made a good decision by coming to church this morning because that is part of resting in God is coming to your local church. But it can't just be that. It has to be your own space in your calendar, in your routine. Maybe it's later at night. Maybe it's early in the morning. Maybe you get to go and take the dog for a walk during the day and walk and walk and pray whatever it is you can work it out but importantly that space in our life room to rest room to reboot room to dream actually will only happen if we clear out the headspace We could have the time scheduled in, we could have the place we sit, the rocking chair on the porch, but if we've got all this stuff going through our head and we don't know how to deal with it, we're actually not going to be resting. And sometimes we drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit from all this other mind talk in our head. This room for rest that we want to install in our lives, this space, it's not just for us, like it's important that we do it as well. But we actually want to facilitate others to receive from God, to perceive, prepare and maintain the more of God that God has for them, not just us. The Shunammite woman was fabulous at it. So girls, do we facilitate our husbands making room, having rest? Or do we keep invading their man cave (laughs) when they're just trying to chill out? And believe it or not, out there... That actually might be the place that they're actually able to talk to God. Or we can be praying that they'll be hearing as they're having their downtime in the boat, fishing, whatever they're doing. Do we help to position our kids? And at um, Hillsong Conference recently, which is incidentally called There Is More, (laughs) um, Stephen Furtick was sharing about, I think he's just hitting the challenging years of raising a teenager and, you know, analysing what he's doing and what if he's a hopeless dad, even if he's a good preacher, you know, all of that. And he shared with us there's just two things he thinks he could do for his kids and that's give them experience and example, like experience of encountering God, seeing what God does in maybe different cultures or different settings or different towns. 
and, of course, his own example. And that's one thing I try to do with my own family. I try to always take one child with me whenever I travel or whenever I go um, to a conference so they can see a different youth program or they can meet some other cool people, whatever it is. That's just one example about how we can facilitate room for more in our kids' lives. Do we release our pastors and our leaders so they have opportunity to open up their schedules for the more that God has for them? And I know that you guys do because Lot is off in India. What a great church that you can actually be partnering with the ministry there. And obviously my church is very good because they've released me to come here and the team is continuing on with me, uh, without me. Ha <laughs> ha, sucker is no. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> because their service is still going. No, they'll be finishing. We have shorter services because of the heat. But then they'll all be going out at 2.30 out to Weeble. But what a great church that releases me to come and be with you. Well, the second item. So we've got the room, the general room to rest. The second thing that's mentioned in that scripture is that there was a bed or a small cot put in the space. And this represents, for me, ceasing from striving. You know, can we switch off, that's it, from trying to work it all out in our head and worrying? There's a great quote about worry. Worry is like a rocking chair. It will give you something to do, but won't get you anywhere. (laughs) Won't get you anywhere. And you know, the cot is symbolic of our rest in God and for all that he has prepared for us. And it's the antithesis of striving. Donna Crouch shared, um, maybe at conference or maybe with some girls the other day, that you can't perform your way out of a ceiling. We need to cease from striving. Like our area out west, which Loz couldn't quite remember, no, it is in drought. And in fact, most of the state is, so it's not just a west thing. And in our town um, and in my new, my new church and my old church, we've just seen a whole wave of people move out of town. And it doesn't matter in one sense because all the cool kids are still there, obviously. But it could be something that could really weigh you down when you see that dryness, you know, that people are moving on. It's not just the drought. There's just combined sort of situations. And we could let that get on the inside of us. But do you know what? There is nothing I can do. It's up to God. He'll bring the rain at the right time. All towns, particularly small ones, go through ebb and flow. But there's nothing I could do to strive to change that situation. There are some things that are out of our control. We just need to be content to do the things that we can do. And uh, I don't need to resign. I need to find another pastor who will stop the drought. (laughs) I just need to rest and know that God has got it. And, you know, at this venue, I think it was Ray Andrews shared maybe 14, 15 months ago, a great workshop about working from rest, not resting from work. And so we need to really not just have this as a nice sermon topic, but this is something we actually need to build into our lives because it's in those moments that God reboots us. He recalibrates us for the next thing that he has for us. Rest is always part of preparation, not just working. I might just sit down now and have a little rest. Very good. (laughs) Uh, The other thing that was in this room, another thing was a table. 
And I like to gather around the table. Who here likes to gather around the table? It's precious in our, in our household. And I'm the mother that makes everybody come and sit at the table. And because it's fleeting, one of our kids has left for uni or, and, uh, you know, they've got jobs and youth and this thing. And it's like this sacred time to try to gather whoever's in the household and sit down together. And in our lives, there needs to be opportunity for gathering, for fellowship, for community, because God actually works in and through other people in our lives. And, you know, Jesus loved to gather too. He loved a good party. He even risked criticism because he would accept dinner invitations at people's houses like tax collectors, etc., who weren't particularly popular and who weren't um, approved of by the religious leaders of the day. We have religious people in our communities that can judge us for who our friends are. And I think it's fantastic that this church has some of the opportunities that you do here um, to mix with people in, our com- in your community who perhaps are doing it tough and to bring them to the table, so to speak, feed them, you know, let them have a shower. But I thought that was a great um, initiative that wasn't here last time I visited But you know what, the table in our life isn't all just about being social. And some of you are very social. My 18-year-old daughter is just amazingly social. You've never met anyone more sanguine. But you know what, it's a place where there can be divine visitation when we gather. And remember the wedding at Cana, of course. That's where Jesus did the first miracle in his ministry. And he turned the water to wine. At that great gathering, of course, there was the Last Supper where Jesus and his disciples were all sitting around and he used the bread and the cup to teach them one of the most powerful principles of the word and to prepare them for what is next. Who knows what opportunity may come when you guys come to Gadada, which is only an hour away from Narrabri, or when you have your barbecue in the park. Be open. Be praying. Who knows What more God can do when you're gathering around the table in your community? Also, there was a chair. I'm thinking of a play school song now. There was a chair in there. There was a chair in there. (laughs) And you know what? This just, it was probably a humble stool or whatever we're picturing. But in the Hebrew, the word for chair or stool is actually kisse. And it actually denotes a chair that's a little bit different maybe with a canopy, like a throne with a covering. But the connotation is that it's a chair or a seat of authority. That's the next slide. We need to be asking ourselves in our lives, who has a seat of authority in my life? It's a place for instruction. It's a place to sit down and get guidance. Mary sat at her master's feet And you know what? The chair represents giving God the authority in our life, allowing him to guide us and instruct us. A chair supports our weight, doesn't it? What's supporting the weight in your life? Are you letting God be the authority in those situations? It's worth thinking about. And this year, there's been times of high stress for me, um, as many of you probably have experienced, and it's those times where I've actually experienced just a God whisper. And the first one was, worship while you wait. That's a great one, and it's short, so I can remember it. 
and has alliteration, as Lozzie would love with her writing. And the second one was sit and study. And not study engineering. I'm not that smart, sorry. Sit and study the word. And it's as I've done that, that God has actually breathed freshness into me and he's actually released the more, the next thing that is happening in my life. And so the last item that was installed in this room by the widow for Elisha that we need to install in our life, of course, is the lamp. And the lamp lights the way. And it signifies the illumination of God, the revelation of God in our life. I don't just want to read the scriptures and just have them as empty words, you know, going over my head. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal them and to empower me with them. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Let's always make room for his word. It turns the light on in dark places in our lives. There's power in his word. His promises are in his word and it builds our capacity. It stirs our faith. It reminds us to love and it corrects our wayward thinking. And as the creative team return, I'm just going to give you the um, end of the story because, wait, there's still more to that story. Thank you. Let's start with the keyboard. And in verse 18, oh, you're still in 2 Kings 4? Great. Verse 18, thirsty work preaching, I'm telling you. One day when her child was older, he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. Well, the thing is, the boy dies and the, the, the um, woman from Shuman is obviously devastated and she carries him up to Elisha's room and lays him on the bed of the prophet and then sets off to go and find said prophet. In verse 27 of that chapter 4, it says she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi, he's the servant, begins to push her away. But the man of God says, leave her alone. She is deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? And then Elijah said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's head, on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. And so Elisha returns with her. He's a good, obedient prophet. (laughs) And verse 32, when Elisha arrives, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. But he went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he laid down on the child's body. He laid down on the child. How is that again? Then he laid down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth his eyes on the child's eyes and his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up and walked back and forth across the room once and then stretched himself out again on the child. 
This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Now that's incomprehensible to me, (laughs) it may be to you. Was it an early form of resuscitation before St John's Ambulance did the training? Could have been. Clearly warming the body was a bit like uh, response if he was in hypothermia. Doesn't matter that I don't fully understand why the prophet did those things. The important thing is that he did do those things and there was a great outcome, outcome for the son and the little and the mother. And so here's what I want you to take away. She turned to the man of God when it came to crunch time. She had tenacity mixed with faith. She actually made that 20-mile journey to Carmel, grabbed his feet and insisted that he come back. If she hadn't have done that, that miracle wouldn't have occurred. That faith and tenacity made room for God to do something. It was going to be the end, but there was actually more after all. And note that there was an element of accusation. Didn't I say not to get my hopes off, her hopes up? But you know what? She didn't camp at that spot. She moved on and didn't just complain to the prophet, nurse her grievances, slap his face and walk off. But instead she acted in faith. And there's an application for us too. We've got to be careful how long we nurse our hurts for or we rehearse our hurts. We're very good at sharing them with other people. But instead, we need to reverse our hurts by actually tackling God in faith about it. And so, you know, at the climax of this story, the prophet under God's power and leading breathes life into the child. And this is what God does for us, breathes new life into us. It's a great picture of salvation. Christ won victory over sin by dying on the cross and paying the price. And he showed us all in the world that he could conquer death when he rose from the dead. He breathes life into those who are dead in their sins. He gives us new life. If you would like to stand with me this morning and we'll put up this final scripture. Romans 6, 4. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father... Now we also may live new lives. And so I just want to close with an invitation. Two invitations. The first one is if there's anyone here this morning who you have actually never made a decision to make room for God in your life. Maybe you need to make peace with him and enter into rest if we follow the structure laid out in this passage. Maybe you want to sit at God's table You you don't know that you can have a relationship with him and that he's actually your friend. Maybe you've done all that, but you've actually never really given him the seat of authority in your life. You've never really made him boss. You're still the boss. (laughs) Maybe you're needing God to uh, shine light in dark areas in your life. If that's you this morning, I'd like you just to take this moment with God. And uh, I'm going to give you opportunity to raise your hand. And on the count of three, if you'd like to receive God's gift and make room for him, one, two, three, just put your hand up this morning. That's great. Thank you for that. One. Let's pray together, church, with these one or two that have put their hands up. I really can't see much up here. (laughs) 
<laughs> so that's great. If you could all repeat after me. Father God, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We receive it this morning. And we thank you, Lord, that you forgive our sins. That you have given us a new life. And we choose to follow Jesus, our Saviour and our Lord. We make him boss of our life. Amen. And as we close, I think, uh, do you want another song, Lozzie, or we're finishing? You've got to come up. Um, I'd like to encourage you in the week ahead uh, to continue to make room for God in your lives.